Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 24th of March 2013, entitled The Pathway to Baptism. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. What is baptism? What exactly are we doing here today? Why is it important? Which is the correct method or mode, if you would, of, of baptism that we should follow? And is it really important? Well, these questions and many more could and are often asked about this matter of baptism. Now, Alex, I want to be an encouragement to you. I've already hinted to you that there's a good reason why that blue cover is on there. That water's going to be cold. I did threaten yesterday that I might uh, choose to, uh, to take bids on who wanted me to hold him down the longest uh, before we brought him back up, but we decided that wasn't a good idea. I remember reading a story, Alex, uh, about, uh, it was actually about St. Patrick when he was baptizing King Angus. And during the baptismal service, apparently Patrick carried this this staff that had a very sharp point on the bottom of it. And at some point during that baptismal, he actually ended up with the point of his staff in the king's foot and didn't even realize it. And of course, uh, it was actually towards the end of it that uh, Patrick looked down and he saw all this blood and he said, why in the world didn't you say something? Why did you just stand there in silence? And the king said to him, well, I thought it was just part of the right. I thought it was part of what was supposed to go on. Um, I'll try not to bring blood today. Um, I remember also reading of the lady that uh, asked the pastor what it was supposed to feel like. What is what? What, it, what feelings should I have when I get baptized? And of course, the pastor didn't know what to say. You know, I mean, there's all kind of various responses and and so they were in the baptismal pool and, and he uh, was going through just as they, they went through the burial part of putting her down into the water. As soon as he put her down in the water, her eyes popped open just as wide as they possibly could. And he, he saw this, this, this look on her face and, 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 and he couldn't really comprehend what it was, some look of, of shock or something. And he, and he brought her back out and he said, what was going through my mind was, wow, Lord, why... Why didn't that happen to me when I got baptized? I didn't feel that way. Of course, when he got back out, he found that he'd gotten too close and she'd cracked her head on the step of the pool as they went down. And so uh, that was why her eyes popped open. <laughs> and that's why she was in shock. And I'll not only try not to bring blood, but we'll try not to, uh, to crack any skulls either. Um, but uh, I have had a fair bit of practice. But I told him there's always a first time for everything. Uh, the one young pastor, he just finished Bible college. He took on the pastorate and his first baptizing, he was nervous. He was scared about this. So he and his young wife, they went to visit his parents one day and the mother-in-law knew that something just wasn't quite right about her daughter-in-law, but she didn't want to be nosy. She didn't want to get involved. And so she just kind of tried to ignore it. And then as her son and daughter-in-law were leaving, and I wrote this down to make sure I get it right. <laughs> Uh, she overheard this statement. She said, all right then, we'll go by the church and you can practice baptizing me one more time. But remember, when you have your first funeral, 
you're not going to practice burying me. Amen. And so um, hopefully that uh, in, in, in all of that, uh, we want to realize that it is a very serious time. It's something that is very, very, very special. And as we think about the importance of trying to understand baptism, may I say it really has nothing to do with, uh, with man's preferences. We don't need to understand from what people prefer. It's not from the world's perceptions of what they think about it. And it's certainly not from any denominational practices that may choose to do it different, but strictly from a biblical perspective. What does God say about it? Why are we doing what we're doing? Well, I would read this to you that this is what we say about it in our statement of faith of our church here, which is, you know, supposed to be a summary of, of what we believe based solely and squarely upon the Word of God. And we say that, that two ordinances have been given to the local church, those being baptism and the Lord's Supper. These two ordinances are for believers only and are to be administered by the church. We believe that the only scriptural baptism is by complete immersion in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The prerequisite to scriptural baptism is the new birth. There is no saving power in baptism, but is rather the first step of obedience of every Christian, identifying them with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Scriptural baptism must be administered by the local church according to the New Testament. Now, the simple truth is, is that we say those things, oh, preacher, what in the world is an ordinance? Well, we went through all this, and if you want to go back, there's a whole series of sermons on the ordinances, the two ordinances of the church in our series that we've been covering for the past year on the local church, on the church period. And of course, that goes into much more detail than we have time here this morning. But we summarize there that a simple definition of an ordinance is an outward right instituted by divine authority and given for perpetual observance. It's something that God has given to us as a right, as a ceremony that we are to continue to observe. Now, prior to an individual being baptized, we try to seriously take the time to, to make sure that they understand exactly what it is that they are going through. We teach them as part of our pre-baptism discipleship course, which Alex has mentioned in his testimony has gone through. We teach them these important points, and I'm not going to dwell upon them. I just want you to know that these are important. These are the things that he has been taught, and I would be more than happy to go through them in detail with anybody here that has any questions about it this morning. Again, in, in, these, in this study that he has gone through, we reiterate again that the Lord has given two ordinances to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We go through what that ordinance is, and we cover really four things. First of all, the meaning of baptism. What does it mean? Well, first of all, we find in Colossians 2.12 that it is an identification with Jesus Christ himself. We are proudly before the world identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. It demonstrates salvation, not brings salvation. It doesn't bring salvation. Nobody is saved because they're baptized. It demonstrates that which has taken place in the heart already. 
So first of all, what Alex is doing here today is he is proudly standing before you and the world saying, I'm not ashamed to be identified with Jesus Christ. It's because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection that I can stand here as a Christian today and identify myself with him through this rite of baptism. Secondly, we talk about the method of baptism. As we stated in our statement of faith, we believe baptism by immersion. The mere word itself, it means to dip, plunge, submerge, to immerse. Folks, sprinkling doesn't do that. Pouring doesn't do that. That's between them and God. We baptize by immersion because it's the only scriptural baptism that we find. Jesus came up out of the river. There was much water where that we see the baptizing here in our reading today in Acts chapter 8. They went down into the water. There's many things we could look at there, but the only baptism that we see as biblical baptism is baptism by immersion in water. The motive, why should we do it? Well, first of all, because God commanded. Jesus commanded as he left his very last marching orders in the Great Commission that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said also in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, it's easy to say I love you. But Jesus is saying, if you love me, do what I've said. And so this is one of the things that he has commanded of every believer. And of course, obedience brings joy, peace. There is no way that a Christian, that a child of God can knowingly be disobedient to God and, and know they're going contrary to God's word and experience peace and joy in the heart. It can't happen. You're going to be, if you're really saved, you're going to be one miserable Christian. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, the Bible says. And of course, we teach him fourthly the must of baptism. Now, the simple truth is, is that baptism is for those who have believed. Believing, being born again, becoming a child of God, that is what must take place prior so that baptism in itself. You know, we used to have a, a country saying where I came from, where many of the churches the weather's a little bit better there in most cases. And so a lot of churches still baptize outdoors, in the rivers and the things like that. Um, and uh, they used to have a saying, some of those country preachers, that you could be baptized till you know every tadpole in there by name and still die and go to hell. Uh, the truth is baptism won't get you any closer to heaven. But every child of God should be baptized as a witness of what's taken place. Now I want to direct our attention for just a few moments to our reading and I promise not to be long, but I want you to think about this idea of the pathway to baptism. How do we get here today? How did Alex get here today? At this point in his Christian life that he's following the Lord and believer's baptism. We find that, I want to give you three thoughts. First of all, the first thing we see here is the first step, if you would, on that pathway is the bringing of seekers to the Scriptures. The bringing of seekers to the Scriptures. This is the first thing that we see in the account that we read. The Bible teaches us here a number of things. Notice, first of all, that we come across this, this guy named Philip. And we find that uh, uh, he tells us very uh, seriously here that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, 
Philip, if you look back, was one of those seven deacons that was chosen back in Acts chapter 6. Earlier right here in, in, in chapter 8 of, of the book of Acts, when we find the beginning of that chapter is when the great persecutions came and the church was scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word, the Bible says. We find that at that instance, the Bible mentions this guy, Philip, that he went down into Samaria. Now, that speaks volumes in itself. We could say for a Jew to go to Samaria took a movement of God upon that life because these folks did not hold each other in high regard. We find that later in chapter 21, verse 8, we find that those that were traveling with Paul end up staying in this same Philip's home, and there he's referred to as an evangelist, the evangelist Philip, Philip the evangelist. Matter of fact, if we look in Scripture, he is the first name that's mentioned, the first name that is a missionary going out from the church, the first name of an evangelist that is evangelizing and proclaiming the Word of God. Now here in verse 26, it's that Philip that is being directed by the Lord to go to this deserted place somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza. What sense does that make? To go down to a desert place, a, a deserted place where there's nothing there. Well, we find that no specific reason was given. I believe that it shows us that Philip was a genuine servant of the Lord, that we know from these things that we see about him that he had a genuine heart for winning the loss to Christ. He was a, a willing service. He was allowing his life to be directed by God for whatever purpose and place that God wanted for him. You see, God uses people, people that are willing to be used and people that have a heart for others. You know, even in, in talking about all these wonderful things that are all important to the church, all the gifts and everything that go around that make up the body, that make it work together as it ought to. He said, you can have all these great things, but without love, it's just a bunch of noise. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We find that the truth is, is that God encourages us, yes, as his servants, to love. We've looked at this much as we've looked in recent weeks about and, and looking at the operation of the church and the ministry of witness, the importance of winning the loss to Christ. You see, in short here, God sins. We need to be willing to go. Philip went when God sent him. No questions, no excuses, no arguments. He just went where God told him to go. No, he didn't understand it. Probably in his rationale, it didn't make a, a whole lot of sense. Lord, surely there's some place better that I could be used than this desert place. But if he hadn't been obedient to go, he would not have been the one to behold <laughs> this Ethiopian eunuch. He wouldn't have been there for the Lord to use him to bring that truth to the Ethiopian. So we see Philip in this matter of, of bringing seekers to the scriptures. We see Philip, but then we see the, the Ethiopian in the next verse, and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, 
and he'd come to Jerusalem for the worship. He was a man of position, a man of authority in the government of his queen, a man that was in charge of the finances of that government, probably what we would call our, our chancellor of the exchequer. The man had obviously come to Jerusalem seeking for something of a spiritual nature. I don't know if he knew exactly what he was seeking for, but it says that he came to Jerusalem to worship. And then in the following verse, in verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he read Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet. So he's going back. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's going back, and he just stops his chariot along the way, and he begins to read the book of Isaiah. Remember at this point, they had the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written yet. We find that he began reading the Scriptures, the book of Isaiah. Well, let me say he was seeking in the right place, the only place that he was going to find the answers. He's seeking. And while he's seeking, Philip is directed by the Holy Spirit to go to him. Verse 29, then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to his chariot. He didn't know why he'd been sent to this place. But once he gets there, he, he sees this Ethiopian and here's this Ethiopian sitting there in his chariot reading the Scriptures. God says to Philip, go to him. Go to him. So then we find this Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, they were on their separate paths. They were following their paths for different reasons, but suddenly their paths come together. We have one man seeking while another is being directed by the Lord at just the right time, just the right place. Do you believe it was any coincidence that he happened to be there? The two of them are brought together with the Word of God, the Scriptures being the central focus of their meeting. One, seeking the truth of Scripture, reading God's Word. The other, <laughs> preaching the Christ of those Scriptures to him. Notice what it says once they come together. Verse 30 says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading there from the prophet Isaiah? He says, Well, how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and, and sit with them. I, I, I'm reading these scriptures you know, I need somebody to guide me with this. Would you please come here with me? And notice that the Scriptures go on, and it says the place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth, and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Those particular verses that he is reading right there fall right in the midst of that wonderful chapter. We find that he goes on after reading those passages, and it says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and began at the same scripture, 
Isaiah chapter 53, began at that same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. Friend, I don't care who you are today. There is absolutely only one pathway to scriptural, biblical baptism. That pathway begins with, we see right here, that seeker that is searching the scriptures. I, won't, I don't have time, but I, I mean, Isaiah chapter 53, I could preach a whole bunch of sermons out of that one chapter, but let me read to you the message. You see, they didn't have the New Testament yet. They had the Old Testament, but it was still Jesus that was the center of what he preached to him. It begins in Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to believe it? You know, we can see that literally fulfilled in so many ways. When Jesus Christ came in the flesh, they didn't accept him. We find that time and time in the, script, in, in the scriptures when men rejected the truth. But today, we may look around and ask ourselves, well, who's going to believe it? You see, I, I want to say to you today, what we're doing here today, it's not a churchy thing. It's not a religious thing. It's all about Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just some mere religion. It's not just some set of rules. It's about a man. His name is Jesus. And the simple truth is, is that it's only the scriptures that can guide you to that man. And we find that you have a choice. Believe or reject. Who's believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Oh, he come from as simple, humble as it could possibly come in this earth. He didn't come in all of his royal attire. He didn't come with what the world might see as, as royalty. He didn't come trying to impress with what he had. It says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We can look at many scriptures in the New Testament where that's filled, but still today, many would despise. Oh, they, they, they might think it's okay that there was some guy way back there in history some 2,000 years ago that his, his name was Jesus and he, and he was a good man and he lived a good life and he, and he set a good example, but to be God, to have died on that cross for my sins, you said men rejected him when he was here. Men reject him today. The simple truth is, the Word of God, Scriptures will point us to Jesus. And everybody here this morning, you will have your own choice to make as to whether you believe it, as to whether you accept it or reject it. It is nobody else that can do that for you. Jesus, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, they rejected him. They beat him. They mocked him. They hung him upon that cross, the most cruel death of his day. But he took it all. For you, he bore 
your sins. It became sin for you. He didn't have to. He loved you that much. That's the Jesus that Philip was preaching to the eunuch that day. These very scriptures that I'm reading to you here this morning are the very scriptures that he took and preached Christ to that Ethiopian. The thing was, this was some 700 years before it happened. This is prophetic of the Jesus that was to come. Folks, he did come. He did die upon that cross. He did fulfill everything that the prophet here said that he would. And notice what he says next. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's very simple. You're, you're not unique in the fact that you're a sinner. The thing is, this morning, are you a sinner saved by the grace of God? <laughs> or are you a sinner without the grace of God? You see, we all come from the same place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We like to compare ourselves with others, with what somebody else is doing, what somebody else is like. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When the bullseye is God, when that's what you're comparing it to, we all miss the mark. We have all sinned. Matter of fact, the Bible says, John wrote that, you know, to say that we have no sin is to call God a liar. You're not unique. We're not saying that you're horrible and more terrible than anybody else. We're saying that we're all sinners, but that your sins were laid upon Jesus. He's the one that bore your sins. He's the one that was there. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. We bear, he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Folks, oh, I... I <laughs> There, there is nothing in the world that I, that I prefer to talk to you about, to preach to you about, to share my heart about than this one called Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, the pathway, the baptism, it's going to begin with that seeker seeking the Scriptures. That's where God, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
The simple truth is, it's Jesus. That's, first of all, you have to seek and, and say, what is the truth? This Ethiopian was willing to say, look, I don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? Is, is, is this prophet talking about himself or is he somebody else? Philip said, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's the one that he wants to tell you about. You see, we find that just a couple of chapters later, in Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, I want to read you a couple of verses. It says this, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7, says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will give mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The Bible says that you need to seek the Lord while he is near. You see, there's only one place you're going to find him today. That's through the word of God, by the spirit of God. We find that Deuteronomy chapter 4 and notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. The Bible says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. We're not talking about some mental or intellectual thing here. We're talking about seeking the Lord, from your heart, from your soul, from your inner being, that which you are. We find that a familiar passage found in the book of Jeremiah and chapter 29, the Word of God tells us again in this passage the importance of seeking. Verse 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That desire must come from within. And of course, Jesus Christ, as he began his ministry here upon this earth, we find that he gave us these verses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Folks, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The first step on this pathway to baptism is seekers being brought to the truth in Christ, which can only be found in the scriptures. God uses believers through the, the power of the Holy Spirit in directing their lives to take those scriptures, to explain those scriptures to the lost, always preaching Christ. That's the message. That's the message that matters. You see, everybody here today, each and every one, you should either be a seeking sinner or a serving saint. A seeking sinner that is truly willing. Are you willing, genuine in your heart? Do you want to know the truth? Sometimes people are afraid of the truth. Do you want to know the truth? And Christians, 
Are you a serving saint? Are you willing to go where God wants you as Philip did to be used of God to be there, to share Jesus Christ with others, the pathway to baptism? Secondly, I'll give you this quickly, verse 36 and 37 in our reading. Not only do we see the bringing of seekers to the Scriptures, but secondly, the belief of sinners in the Savior. The bringing of seekers to the Scriptures, but then the belief of sinners in the Savior. What does he say here in verse 36 and 37? And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What does it require? You know, probably some of the most important words in this passage. What does it take? What is it that keeps me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you can. You see, one of the passages that we probably turn to so many times in bringing souls to Christ I'm just going to read them. I don't have time to even comment on them. I'm sure that most of you are familiar. But if you're here this morning, I want you to understand that the first step is you must seek the truth, which can only be found in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. But secondly, you must be willing to believe that Jesus Christ is who the Scriptures say He is, that He did what the Scriptures say he did. We find that in Romans chapter 10, notice what it says beginning in verse 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Huh. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isn't that the way Isaiah started in Isaiah 53? Huh. He quotes him, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is, this is what they've got to hear. They've got to hear this. Somebody's got to be, be willing to, to take it to them. You see, the simple question is, have you responded to the truth of God's word today? Have you responded with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as this Ethiopian did. The pathway to true biblical baptism 
It can only be followed when the truth of God's Word is sought and found and believed. You heard in Alex's testimony, I'm running out of time, you heard Alex talk about from the time that he was like five years old, being blessed with being in a Christian home with a mom and dad that loved the Lord, that didn't turn him away. When as a young boy, he came wanting to know. He wanted to know more about what it meant to, to be a Christian. A mom and dad that were willing to explain that and to, and to pray with him for God's hand to be upon him. You know, as a Christian parent, there is nothing in all the world that we desire for our children more than that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They can fail at any other level, but not that one. We see that path that God brought him on. Yes, all that teaching, the Word of God going in for all those years. God bringing him to a point that he spoke very personal to him. Reminded him. You see, if he hadn't, if he hadn't read that promise to Abraham all those times ago, if he hadn't heard that talk before, God wouldn't have brought it back to him when he was there looking at all those stars that God had placed there and that promise that he had made. God uses his word. He brought Alex along his pathway. He used all these different things. I, I, I don't believe that it was coincidence and accident. He could have ended up at, there are many, many, many churches in Birmingham. We find that I don't think it's an accident that he ended up here with us at Bethel. And I thank God that his pathway, as you heard from his own testimony, it came when he began seeking. He began seeking. He began wanting to know what this was all about. God used his parents and, and, and a Christian church and all these others to, to bring those truths into his life to where that one day the Spirit could take and bring those things alive and he could personally say, yes, I believe that. I'm going to stake my eternity. I want to tell you something. You all have one. Alex is staking his on Jesus Christ. What are you staking yours on today? You see, I want to ask you again. If you don't already, do you really genuinely, honestly want to know the truth? And if you really do, may I challenge you this morning to go to God's Word as the Ethiopian did. And if you've got questions, ask us I'm not here to twist your arm or to get you into our church or to sign you up to some religion. But I'm saying my challenge to you is if you want to know the truth, don't go to the world asking about God's truth. Go to the source. You'll decide. You'll believe it or you'll reject it. But are you willing to seek? Because once you start that seeking in the Scriptures, there must come that point when that belief becomes one of your own. You believe what the Scriptures say about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to I give you this. In Ephesians chapter 2, again, it's a very familiar passage this morning. It's vitally important that we understand the God that we're talking about. Ephesians chapter 2 begins in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, you has he made alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Don't be surprised that in the flesh, in the natural you, that you enjoy sin. <laughs> Your flesh does enjoy sin. Your flesh has not been redeemed. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, salvation can only come as a free gift from God. When someone seeking from their heart comes to the Scriptures for truth, and they find that that truth lies in, in Jesus Christ and Him alone, His death, His burial, His resurrection, they respond by faith. That's the only pathway to God's grace is faith. They turn from that life of sin to a life in Christ. They seek forgiveness through the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb, being born again from above, dying to that old man, being raised in newness of life. Then and only then can one follow that pathway to where we are today. You see, it's the bringing of seekers to the Scriptures, the belief of sinners in the Savior, and thirdly, the baptism of saints as a symbol. This baptism today is to speak to you in itself. We find in our reading in verse 38, the Bible says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I'm going to ask a couple of our men, if they would, to remove the covering from the baptistry behind me here. Careful, fellows, it's going to have a lot of water on the bottom side. Hold it back the other way and then bring it away. And then uh, we can just lift the heaters out of the baptistry. You see, that's how we got to this baptistry today. Starting with a young man seeking. Seeking. Pointed to the scriptures where that truth lies. God brings our pathways in many different ways, but it must begin there when we begin to truly search in our hearts, and to believe, to believe, to have faith in God's Word. I realize, I realize that the Bible even teaches us here that we can't even take credit for the faith. We serve a great God. We've talked about what this really means today. See, Alex is being identified with Jesus Christ. could give you many scriptures, but we won't need to go there again. It's to be identified with Christ by, by following his example. Jesus Christ himself 
was baptized there by John the Baptist when he began his public ministry by identifying with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. I would like to read those couple of verses from Romans chapter 6. And he tells us there in verses 3 to 5, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Alex is here today to identify himself with Jesus, all that Jesus was and did, to declare and testify to all of you that by repentance from sin, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has become a follower of Jesus Christ, part of the body of Christ. He's here to be obedient to what Christ has asked of him in going through this ordinance of baptism. You see, today going through these waters of baptism doesn't make Alex, any more a Christian than he already is. He is a child of God, but he's declaring his Christian faith publicly and openly. He is following the Lord in this believer's baptism in obedience to a royal command from God himself. The one thing that we saw in the Ethiopian eunuch was great joy. Find the Bible teaches us that after he was baptized, Philip was taken out of the way. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing. It won't make Alex any more a Christian, but Alex, I hope it gives you a greater commitment than you've ever had in your life to follow that Christ that you've put your faith and trust in, to let him live through you, that others would see Christ in your life and all that you do.